0: I've absolutely thought that about Marie Antoinette. How have I been interpreting um according to this public court standards and is there is there uh, assumptions that I have made about these characters? And so and and you get that that really interesting yeah, complicity. <laughs> And welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob
1: Mann Christensen. We're thrilled to have you back for another week, another discussion, another play. We've been doing this for six and a half seasons now. You know the drill. If you're a recurring listener, and if you're a new listener, welcome. We talk about scripts. This week we've got another script to talk about. It's a privilege. It's a thrill.
0: Yes, absolutely. And this script has some like kind of interesting resonances with last week's script, just a little bit, kind of like fugue state sort of stuff going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely, in sort of the thematic, conceptual level. And it's a very unique in its kind of form and construction, especially compared to the scripts that we've talked about so far this season. So it's a nice change of pace. All the scripts so far have been a nice change of pace, and that's been really fun too. This week we're talking about a playwright who we have done before on the podcast. That's Lauren Gunderson. We talked about her play, I and You, a couple of seasons ago. And this week we are talking about her play, The Revolutionists, Subtitle: A comedy, a quartet, a revolutionary dream fugue, a true story.
0: Yeah, quite a co- quite a few subtitles, and yet it is all of those things somehow. So
1: somehow, and kind of questioningly at <laughs> moments. But it's a really funny, witty, engaging script. I've heard, I've seen it called a couple of different places a um, a dream comedy or a fantasy comedy, or a comic fantasy, the, all those words, this sort of, the humor of it, she's very clear in the script notes that it's definitely a comedy, but it also exists in this sort of world of things that didn't happen, but that in sort of an inner life did happen in like a, like a this story is true kind of sense rather than factual.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, lots of lots of, you know, real characters and true characters that never probably talk to each other or so so yeah, it's got lots of kind of fun anachronisms in it and stuff that kind of uh, recontextualizes history for us. So, I'm excited to get to talk about it.
1: Me too, but before we get there, we are going to talk about Patreon. If you don't know we have a Patreon, it's how we support the running of this show. We love to do the show. It's a privilege It's a great thing in our lives, but it is not free. There are costs for hosting, costs for keeping things up, as well as we have to somehow get a hold of all these scripts. So we put a significant time investment in what we do as well. So if you're not supporting us over on Patreon, we'd love you to consider it. We have a lot of great supporters over there. We're going to talk about one of those in just a second. But if that's not you yet, please, please, please consider it. The lowest tier that you can join us at is $1 a month. And that $1 a month is super valuable and really affordable and it gets you access to the patron only posts that happen over there which includes advance notice on what scripts are coming up on the show posts from Jackson and I about interesting artistic things we're engaging outside of the podcast and at least once and definitely again in the future video special episodes just for patron pledges so consider that over at patreon.com slash script podcast and we have a wonderful thing to announce as we do when this happens we have a uh, producer level playwright or a a playwright level patreon uh a subscribe a, a patron. I'm getting. I'm trying to get it out there. I finally got there and found <laughs> the word. You
0: found it. You found a it. A
1: playwright level patron over at Patreon. These are folks that supports the show in kind of a producer role and um, in terms of financially. And so this person is Roger Hartley, and we are super thankful to Roger for joining us at that level. And when you decide to join us at that tier, hopefully you will. We are also going to thank you on the show. So Roger Hartley, thank you for being a supporter of NoScript and supporting us with your finances in that way, it makes doing this show very possible. So thank you, and thank you to all the rest of our wonderful supporters as well.
0: Yes, thank you all very much for making NoScript possible. We'll see you over on patreon.com noscriptpodcast. And now, back to the script. Back to the script. Here we go. I'm going to give you a little bit of context for this play. Uh, as we said in the opening, this play is by Lauren Gunderson, who we have talked about on the show before. We did her play I and You, which was a very famous production, had a Broadway run. Um, uh, Lauren Gunderson has been called more than once our, our uh, America's most produced living playwright, and not only called that, but recognized as that in 2017. And outside again, outside in- of Shakespeare. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. That, that's that's probably a good distinction. America's most produced living playwright. Ah, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
1: If only uh, Mr. Shakespeare were still around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. And and American. Uh, it's, it's, it's fine. Um. <laughs> um and uh, that, so, but she got that uh, uh, accreditation again in 2019 and 2020. Her plays are widely produced, and she writes plays uh, almost almost with a regional house in mind or, or with uh, you know, with the ability to be produced well in regional houses. So, um, and this play is no exception. This play uh, was uh, workshopped through 2014 and 2015. It had a couple readings in 2015, got its first production at the Catholic university in DC. And then the uh, first uh, full professional commission production um, was in the Cincinnati playhouse in the park uh, in February of 2016. Since then, it's had many other uh, productions. Uh, It was at seven stages. It was at the Moxie Theater in 2017. Um, And it continues. If if you do a quick Google search, there'll be plenty of reviews of this play. There's plenty of kind of trailers on YouTube of this play. It's a nice little four-hander cast, um, and it's kind of steeped in history. So it's great for um, kind of educational uh, theater to do. And uh, yeah, it, it continues to have a life in regional theaters and playhouses around the country.
1: Yes, absolutely. And as we move into the synopsis here, please know that this play is loosely historical, let's call it. And so the character names that I'm about to say are are real people and neither Jackson or I are historians <laughs> especially of the French Revolution yeah. or French S- or French <laughs> so we're gonna do our best pronunciation wise but also just like the facts of the real people's lives as they influence this stage story it's not really our area of expertise or specialty so it's this true. is not like a podcast on these four women in French history this is about or- the Lauren Gunderson Created. So just know we're not going to like provide you with tons of amazing facts about these real historical personas. (laughs) What we have are, are the characters Lauren Gunderson created from the lives of these four women as they were lived in history.
0: Yes, it's set in a very specific time in the reign of terror around the French Revolution. And again, as Jacob said, we're not experts on that, but we are pretty good at theater sometimes. So (laughs) we're going to be focusing on that and the plot and the characters as they have been presented to us.
1: Absolutely. All right. So Jackson stole this. Paris, Reign of Terror. John uh, <laughs> Gunnarsson says around 1793. That's the setting for the show. That is in stark contrast with the way the characters talk. Uh, the the play is written in modern language, very modern language at times. Lots of four-letter words and um, a sort of expressive dialogue that does not sound like it's... It's not in French, first of all, but it doesn't sound like it's old-timey language in any way. Um, so very very modern language, but set during Paris, in Paris during that Reign of Terror. Um, there are four actors, and I guess five or six characters, so there's some doubling, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And these four major characters, four principal characters, these are the four women from that period. These are four women, three of them actual women, one kind of an algorithm combination of lots of women from the time. Um, these So four people, three people that really lived at the time, and then this sort of composite character. Um, This is uh, Aloumpe de Gouche. Hope we're saying that right, because we're going to say that for, you know, 40 minutes. Um, (laughs) Probably just the first name from here on out, but still. (laughs) (laughs) Aloumpe is hard to say by itself, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Aloumpe is a, uh, again, real person, French feminist playwright of the time, executed for some of her writings, not just for theater writings but she also did quite a bit of pamphlet writing. She wrote this Declaration of Women's Rights that really kind of brought it to the what was happening in the French Revolution at, at the time that it did not also include equality for the rights of women. So uh, that is sort of our principal character our our protagonist if you will, that's sort of hard to define in a play like this, That's the characters are so close tied, but Aloumpe is writing a new play about what is going on around her, i.e. the French Revolution. And that is how the play begins. The play begins with a scaffold for an execution, uh, Madame Guillotine, and uh, Alump immediately jumps up and says, that is not how you start a comedy with an execution. No, no, no. So my play is not going to be doing that. So already you can see the sort of meta-theater uh, environment here, right? We're in the play that Alump is writing, and she is correcting the play as it's being written. And that meta theater is going to come up time and time again. Virtually every review you hear is going to say that word, and that phrase is used several times in the play, including being made fun of several times in the play, which is meta theater in and of itself. Right. <laughs> into Alump's writing of this play about the French Revolution comes uh, Marianne, who, this is the character who is a composite character, so not a specific person, but kind of a composite of what was going on at the time. Uh, she is a black woman from the Caribbean. She is in Paris to act as a spy because, of course, at the time the Caribbean was a French colony and they were getting their sugar and coffee, etc. And at the same time the French Revolution was happening, there was a revolution of the slaves and peasants in the Caribbean as well. And so Marianne is over in Paris to sort of spy on what's going on in this revolution to bring back information for the Caribbean Revolution against the the French government and and the citizens and such. Um, uh, Marianne comes in. She needs uh, Olympe to write some pamphlets for their revolution. Is basically why she comes in. Uh, They go back and forth a little bit, and Olympe says, I'm going to write a play about you. And then in comes Charlotte Corday. Uh, This is a real historical person who was executed for the murder of a sort of French higher up who was a real jerk, apparently. (laughs) Um, And she comes in because she is about to do this murder. She knows she is going to be captured, imprisoned and likely executed for the murder. And she needs to write her a last line, you know, final words to be delivered from the scaffold uh, as she is being executed. So she's there for that. Uh, says, wow, you're also a fascinating person. Maybe this play should be about you and you. Ah, that's very interesting. And then in comes, uh, you can't write a play about the French Revolution, apparently, without Marie Antoinette walks in. Marie Antoinette. And she says, I need some help because my image is really bad right now. French people used to love me, and now they hate me. So could you sort of rewrite my story? So, these three women come to Aloomp. They each need Aloomp uh, the playwright, to do some writing to impact their lives and their work somehow. Meanwhile, Aloomp is trying to write a play, and she's going to draw inspiration from these three women. That's kind of the loose structure of what's going to happen over the course of the play. Some things that happen that are kind of crucial things, Charlotte does go ahead and commit the ex- or the assassination, and she is then subsequently executed for that. At her execution, Aloomp runs away. She keeps Cannot bear to be, you know, in the midst of that violence. See her friend through that, um, and Marianne gets quite upset with Eloi for running away, running out on Charlotte, who they've become quite close friends with. Um, and so she, uh, th- there's some tension there. Then uh, Marie Antoinette is, of course, arrested and tried, and she is also executed and then a lump is... To, and in the midst of all that, I, I should have said this in terms of the chronology of the play, before Marie Antoinette is taken and executed, uh, we discover that Marianne's husband, um, Vincent has passed, we don't really know exactly how he died, we know that it was quote-unquote their fault somehow we assume these are the tyrants that are running, I guess, the Caribbean colony, or, I'm, I'm not quite sure because they were both spies and it's not exactly clear where he is we think he took the kid their kids back to the Caribbean, so who, they, who it is that killed him, I'm not sure, it's totally exactly clear, but he's been killed, she receives his final letter that apparently they'd kept for each other in case one of them died So she loses him to the revolution. Um, And then Marie Antoinette is taken and executed. Marianne and Olympe have a big blow up about Olympe's sort of failure to engage with the practice of what she writes about in terms of revolution. Um, And eventually, Olympe is taken before a tribunal herself and tried for a play that she had sort of half-wrote about herself and Marie Antoinette, and apparently it painted Marie Antoinette as too sympathetic a character. So Olympe is tried for that, put up on a scaffold, and at the very end of the play, she, too, is executed and delivers some final lines. Um, amidst all that is this sort of swirling song that's an important part of the show that the women echo back and forth. So those are our four characters. There is also the character of the fraternity, which is uh, like sort of a representative of the reign of terror hierarchy um, and at the actors who play Charlotte and uh, Marie Antoinette go on to play fraternity in a mask. And so they sort of oversee the tribunals. Um, is basically that's kind of the broad scope of what goes on in the play. The, the scenes have a lot to go on because each of the women is, is fully fleshed out so much that the, all of the different negotiations negotiations and plot points that influence their specific journeys take up, well, you know, whatever the play runs, an hour and a half, two hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, the it's this fascinating structure of, of both, um, you know, what if all these, it's kind of the, uh, the, the play structure of what if these characters all had coffee or what if these characters all had all were friends? Um, but the, the, the characters that she's chosen are such, um, archetypal characters right you have the playwright the artist the the theater nerd I think is one of the descriptors for a lump. and uh we, get, we have Charlotte who's this uh, assassin really clear-headed young uh person who like knows what she must do yeah yeah um, you have Marie Antoinette who is Marie Antoinette I don't know that I need to give you more descriptors than that and then you have Marianne uh who who is this uh this spy right this this uh person who is kind of paying attention to the underground and 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 in it for for freedom uh, in the in, in for the revolution and what it can do for her people. So all of these really strong archetypes all just are thrown into a room together into a playwright's study essentially and get to just bang off the walls with each other in various degrees of friendship <laughs> for the rest of the play.
1: Right, and the whole structure again is sort of based in Lumb writing this play for her time. And, of course, you know, that lends itself to questions about is Alumta stand in for Lauren Gunderson herself? Well, we know from interviews with Lauren Gunderson that she was taken with this project because she discovered Elumpta in a footnote in some historical text and was amazed to discover a feminist French playwright during the French Revolution. So there's a lot of sort of interesting parallels maybe between what Lauren Gunderson is trying to say and what Lim character also says but the the overall structure of these women meeting is a fabrication for the play of course but it's also a fabrication for the play within the play like the play that Lim is writing is this play of these four women meeting? And that is also a fabrication, which right. we learn as Aloump is on the scaffold. The narration tells us this thing that Aloump made up meeting these three other women from the French Revolution as a sort of a means to imagine what this story, this play might be that she's going to write for her time that she never gets to write.
0: And you have the extra level of inception of the, the kind of stage direction that essentially this whole play is like a fugue dream of of Olymps as she is walking up onto the scaffolding. So you have like rings and rings and rings of of play within play within meta narrative within play <laughs> happening all simultaneously.
1: And it's fascinating and funny and, and there's there, it's so self-referential. If you like that kind of theater, this is going to be a script that you're probably going to enjoy. It, it has some... Uh, you know, maybe some like easier laughs thrown into to sort of drive the comedy along. There's a uh, a scene that is very funny, but is sort of it doesn't have a lot to do with the plot or the context. But it's just that kind of classic comedy where Olympe is trying to describe her plot the, for this play that she's now been brainstormed to write with all these women. And Marie Antoinette keeps trying to uncrinkle this mint while she and keeps interrupting <laughs> right. her over and over. There's kind of that kind of comedy in it. There's very referential comedic. References to things like Le Miserable, which doesn't have a lot to do with the French Revolution, but people sort of mistakenly identify really strongly with this French Revolution, and so there's some comic humor played on that as well. Um, like uh, somebody makes a joke at one point, like nobody wants to hear a musical about the French Revolution.
0: Right, right, yeah, and that that's a that's a big part of the play. Is this kind of uh, theater is examined in the play um, f- through through the lens of this character who's trying to write the play, but also the lens of the people around. Her who have different tactics than a theater artist would and so theater comes under the spotlight of especially um, of especially Marianne who is uh, kind of between Marianne and Olymp you have the um, words versus actions debate. Um, o- Olymp believes pretty strongly in words and in story, and that story can outlive actions of a particular person if told well. Um, Marianne is a little bit more on the side of you need to back up all your words with some actions. <laughs> um, it's not enough to just write well or to run away from something and write about it in a in a in a kind of glossed over way. You have to be willing to you know set yourself on the line, and so you have that kind of um, the conflict of of. Theater as this kind of at one point it's called a rich rich people's entertainment um, versus theater as a tool for social justice.
1: Yeah, right. And 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 that kind of questioning around theater is it for rich people is is made fun of at times by Lauren Gunderson is examined more fully at times. It makes several sort of longer defenses of theater as an art form or as sort of what art can do, the power of art itself, that at times seem a little bit more mocking of the kind of people who, you know, earnestly make these sort of old, tired arguments about what art is, and then at times seem more earnest. And that kind of waving back and forth between making you, if you're a theater artist, laugh at yourself and also kind of go, eh... There's a point to be made there um, and then also be fired up about what the art form can do. The wavering between those three categories is is a lot of how she kind of plays with what theater is in having a playwright writing a play as the center of the plot.
0: And I feel like so. So for the first part of the ride of this play, right, you get to kind of. Weave your way through that, and the play the, the, the characters all have this kind of uh, confidence about them and their various choices. However, as you see the consequences build up in the play, um, Charlotte's death as the result of her confidence and 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 assurity that she needs to assassinate this judge Marat, um, and 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 then you see uh, Marianne lose her husband Vincent. You see Olympe watch or almost watch Charlotte uh, executed and have to run away. So you see like each of these kind of um and at first blush these uh kind of tete-a-tete's i don't know if i'm saying that french word right but these <laughs> peri reposts in conversation between the two different viewpoints crystallize you see marianne uh arguing essentially that my husband must have died for something it can't just be words <laughs> we have to be doing something as a result of that you see o- o- olymp uh afraid for her very life as, as the result of her action, she brings her uh, uh, declaration of women's independence before the fraternity. Is how I'm gonna say that the the court <laughs> of the revolution and is uh, not only booed out of there but feels threatened for her life. And so she's you have- worried
1: also about the fact that uh, Marie Antoinette may have inadvertently carried off the pages of the damning play that Olympe has written. And so she's worried that if they if this you know reign of terror, organizational loose citizen government, what you know all the craziness that was happening at the time, if they get a hold of that that they're going to try her for that material as well
0: right so so it it crystallizes the argument right it's no longer theoretics now the characters have skin in the game and something that they've lost or will lose as a result of their position
1: right yeah i think you're exactly right that the way that the play sort of works for the characters is that there is this extended opening scene where we one by one meet the characters and we learn sort of their perspective on um, engaging on on changing society through engagement or reflection or uh, commentary, all these sort of different viewpoints that they have through uh, privilege in Marie Antoinette's you know world um, and they they sort of lay that roadmap for how they see change is going to come laid out for each other. and then, kind of the rest of the play is you follow each of those roadmaps to the scaffold one by one, right? And Marianne doesn't die, but her husband does. And she's the one sort of left to tell the story. It's kind of the refrain throughout the play is telling the story, history, high story. They play a lot on those kinds of phrases all around this idea of carrying the story forward. What is going to carry the story of the revolution forward? And every single path chosen leads to the scaffold or to death of some sort
0: yeah yeah and and and, and each of them uh, at least at least for me um Marianne and Olymp serve as like the two primary characters throughout. I think, I mean, Olymp in it is is the one whose dream we're in if we follow the first stage direction and we go on a pretty long journey with her. But Marianne seems to be the the counterpart and they both have a lot of stage time. Um, Marie Antoinette being thrown into the mix is just this delightful piece of chaos <laughs> and, and delightful change in the script between these two really um, earnest viewpoints. And then you have uh, Marie Antoinette who shows up to have her public reputation restored in some way um, and and has a very different understanding of what the revolution did and kind of has to walk a really different path, again, to the scaffold um, that the, than the other par- characters end up doing.
1: I think you have inadvertently uh, done something which illustrates a question I have about the script, which is you're describing these two viewpoints that Marie Antoinette walks into. But also on stage at that moment already is Charlotte, and I, it's a little <laughs> odd to me, or let me say it better. It's I have a little bit of a hard time pulling apart the strands of Marianne's viewpoint or particular um, representation in the script, who she is and what she brings to this combination of personalities from Charlotte's in sort of that grander scheme of uh, the pull between engagement and reflection. Charlotte seems to be a similarly action-driven character. And I'm just not sure... It's a little unclear to me what extra she adds to the table adds to this fold.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so f- I wonder if Charlotte isn't the inciting incident of the play, um, which which would be a little interesting because Marianne showing up could be the inciting incident of the play. Um, but but uh, Charlotte's. Um, devotion and clear-headedness that she must kill this person and then her the execution of that action in her in fact doing it set off all the events of the play. In a different way than Marianne does. Marianne, Marianne I feel like goes on a journey in this play. She starts as this I'm I'm just going to kind of ride underneath. I'm going to collect some information. I'm going to send it away. Um I don't need to be like up front in front of everyone, but I'm going to like put these pamphlets out there so that so that more people can know and I can be gathering information for the resistant effort, resistance effort back home. Um, Charlotte is like, I, I'm going to kill a man, and I need some last words. <laughs> and that's like kind of, she's almost like the the more, uh, yeah, the very direct, like, I have a plan, and it's going to mess up your world, but I'm still going to do it, so, she's like, so help me.
1: Uh, she's like the more extreme version of Marianne. Like, she sort of represents that particular view to its utmost.
0: Yeah, or or and and also kind of the clarity of youthful purpose. Um as a result of uh, a tragic uh we, we learn a little bit about like what what she's lost, the people she's lost and she's lost a lot of people that have crystallized this purpose for her.
1: Now again, we are not historians, but I right. believe my understanding is that the real person of Charlotte uh, basically was an orphan. And so her particular engagement with this sort of unjust society around her, she's going to bring a unique perspective to that. But, but let's go back real quick to this um, potential uh, linkage between Marianne and Charlotte in this Um, it may be that she sort of represents a more active or more exaggerated version of the more subtle combative view that Marianne holds, if that's true. And I'm just trying this idea on, uh, and this could be interesting for those of you who like to email us and make comments to to continue to talk about it because I'm not sure how well this will hold up, but that's the virtue of an unscripted conversation. Could it be that Marie Antoinette is an exaggerated version of Aloomp's point of view, the disengagement point of view. Now, what Marie Antoinette brings to the table extra is uh, a rich royalty, fame. But what that has done is insulate her in the palace, in the royal lifestyle. She she's not engaging with the world. She's I mean, of course the whole French Revolution was sort of about this, right? The sort of right. disengagement from the populace of the royalty and other aristocracy, rich oligarchy kinds of folk. And so that that is a, maybe an interesting view of what these four characters are. You have these sort of competing more subtle, more realistic points of view between Marianne and Alump, this sort of, I I think I can change the world better through uh, disengagement, through writing, through reflection. I think I can change the world better through actively participating in these revolutions, going, letting my voice heard, letting my actions drive me. And then you have two really exaggerated versions of those points of view. And those two exaggerated versions are the first two to die.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I like that a lot. I like the that that kind of um uh, not synergy, but parallelism between the two characters, but but amplified, right? And you see that, I think, in some of the ways that they uh, glom onto each other. Um, uh, Olympia, or, or I'm sorry, Olymp and uh, Marie Antoinette kind of find a lot of resonance together. At least they speak a similar language. When Olymp talks about art, Mar- uh, Marie Antoinette is like, yes! Delightful! When uh, Olymp talks about uh, maybe turning the play into a musical, Marie Antoinette is like, oh, that's terrific! Um, and and, and uh, Charlotte and, and her journey is backed up by Marianne. Marianne goes and, like, takes, not takes care of her, but she watches over her as she kills the person from outside on the street.
1: Right, I think you're exactly right that that's pretty notable. The first exit after all four characters have made their way on stage, is by Charlotte to go and do the assassination. And who goes with her but Marianne, right? The two Mm -hmm. action-oriented persons leave to do some action that they believe is going to make the world better, more just, more equitable, all of these things that they believe in. And that leaves the two sort of more internally, more disengaged, focused women together not going to do the assassination or watch the assassination.
0: And one of the first then hurts um, that Olymp does to Marianne or Marianne perceives as hurt is her is Olymp's inability to stay with Charlotte as she is dying, uh, being executed. She has to run away and Marianne comes after uh, against that. So you have I, I think that that's really fascinating Two amplified versions of these viewpoints and you get to see them play out and see what it does to the more subtle versions as a result of their deaths.
1: And you you see that really um, used really well in its relationship to the theatrical form, because, of course, we've discussed, there, there's a lot of commentary about what theater is and how it works in its form in the play, and... One of the many tools of the many different kinds of theater artists, of course, is the entrance, right? And the entrances of these characters really speak to their these kinds of relationships. You get this entrance of Marianne right into the fantasy play of Aloup to establish their relationship, right? We have these two longtime friends. One of them is now writing a play. One of them is now a spy, right? So they they already. Sort of establish in their immediate entrances who they are. But the next two entrances of Charlotte and uh, Marie Antoinette more fully illustrate how well she uses the form to comment on the form, right? So you get this grand, enormous entrance of Charlotte. She literally bursts through the door, wielding a book as a weapon, screaming, Yes, is what I said. I said, Writer, I need a writer. Who's the writer? What's my line? completely takes control with just the force of movement and energy and action she comes in and really kind you know that in that you see so much about who she is in that stage action basically right entering the stage.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That first kind of burst into the room, she's out, out like outside the door and like demands <laughs> demands that or I think Marianne says, Who's out there? And the response is like, Who's in there? Um so right away we have a very demanding character breaking into the room, not taking no for an answer from Olymp, who says, I don't really have time to give you your final words. Um and, and yeah, she immediately takes over the situation.
1: And she immediately establishes sort of an interesting relationship with herself, right? That she would want her final words to be pre-written for her because they're so important to what they're going to do actively in the world, right? She's decided on this course of action and she wants everything laid out and active even to the point where she's memorized a final line. You get this all from her entrance moment, And then, of course, several pages later, Marie Antoinette floats into the scene. The stage directions say, looking lovely and startled. Marie Antoinette says, Marie enters. Is she late or lost? What were they talking about? Was it her? It's always her. Or is she being her again? It's confusing time. Hello, Marie Antoinette.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah. And so no.
1: you, you establish right away the self-centeredness that perhaps if you were someone who's going to criticize the disengage, reflect, attack through words primarily point of view, you might say it's a little bit self-interested. It's a little bit focused on how important you are rather than how important just the things you do can be.
0: And in contrast to Charlotte, she is intensely confused about herself and about the world that she finds herself in. She has really no clarity and is casting about in this group of people for some sort of, like goal or purpose, and like continues to like latch on to basically anything Olymp says until eventually in the next scene when she talks about maybe the character that she's writing about Marie Antoinette has to die. um but but she she's casting about for support for some sort of connection as a result of her position of this kind of self-centered, uh isolated um uh, monarchy that she that she is coming from
1: and and both of these two. The uh, Let's call them the second group of women, Charlotte and Marie Antoinette, are, to me, they feel that, that, that they're more caricatures than Marianne and alum um and and perhaps that's a, a an intentional choice to more we've sort of talked about how they may be sort of exaggerated examples but it it also is interesting that the caricatures painted of them by the uh the the crowd the citizens right the executioners Those are not the caricatures that we've come to know in their private conversations. It's sort of like there's a play within a play about a play here. There's also (laughs) caricatures of the caricatures in the executions.
0: Right, right. And in that way, you almost get this um, kind of complicity sense um uh as as an audience member you you spend uh, a bunch of time with these four characters kind of away from the the public eye and they interact with each other you see some um perhaps more fleshing out of the characters and their individual viewpoints and then they're brought before the fraternity and and these these claims that we know we're we're familiar with we're familiar with the claims against Marie Antoinette because no one will ever forget her um and and so so you begin to like hear these um these accusations brought against her and you realize oh i've absolutely thought that about marie antoinette how have i been interpreting um according to this public court standards and is there is there uh, assumptions that i have made about these characters and so and and so you get that that really interesting yeah complicity with history and the wonderings about interpretation and about um oppressive systems over these four women characters.
1: Right, and and how and what the relationship is between the violence done to them and the sort of prop personalities that are imagined for them um, that that sort of causes it. Here's one example. Throughout Charlotte's scenes where she discusses the oncoming assassination, the other women on stage... It's a little unclear to me how much they're joking or how much they sort of believe this ask the question, is this uh, basically a, a love affair? Is this the result of a love affair in some way or the other, right? Are you acting out of lust? Are you acting out of being jilted? Are you acting out of uh, the result of a, re- whatever, right? But there, there's a man involved somehow. This is somehow about sex and romance. And they tease her about that. They. It seems to me that they seem to believe it, which perhaps makes what comes next even more heinous, which is that when Mary Marianne visits Charlotte in prison, Uh, Charlotte describes being, I mean, there's really no other way to put it, right? Violated. Her her virginity was checked by the guards at the prison. We can only assume male guards at the prison um, because they believed this same thing, that it must be the result of a love affair. And uh, again, we're not historians, but what I can tell from the looking that I've done is that this is somewhat based on a true story from this person of charlotte uh in this case however they conducted an autopsy to see if she was a virgin because they did not believe that a woman could simply act uh in in this sort of active um uh control her own destiny uh do something for the cause of justice for what's right take this action they did not believe that that could happen outside some sort of romantic narrative involving a man
0: yeah, yeah. So, so you also have in this play the the um, de uh, mystifying or de idealizing of revolution and the truth that uh, became apparent through the revolutions that um, and and all the declar- declarations of independences that were going around at the time that this system of oppression and male centric government and society did not. Uh, open up any doors during the revolution to the women who are also a part of the revolution. You have uh, systematically each of these scenes, uh, women uh, b- behaving in a way that they would desire to be free in this society. You have Olympe bringing a declaration. You have Marianne fighting for her people to be free. You have Charlotte taking justice into her own hands and and making a choice for for justice. And you have. Marie Antoinette, who is a queen, who is, in char- you know, uh, a, a, a broken character for sure, but ultimately behaved in a way that this fraternity of men um, believed was against the Republic. And so each of them is subsequently either killed or experiences the loss of each other.
1: Right, right, right. And we, we have this sort of one by one, they're sloughed off by the revolution, <laughs> assassinated for being People that they're not, right, that sort of they've built them up as characters or props to then do this violence upon them. And there is an interesting feature of uh, an interesting, let's call it a theatricalizing of the moment of death that occurs for all three women who are executed on stage. Now, before we go any farther, let's just say for those who don't know, this is not like a gruesome, this is not the end of Braveheart, right? Right. They're not being like tortured (laughs) and having their heads cut off. This is a very theatricalized. Typically there's like a light change in the noise of a guillotine. So we're not like, watching blood fly here. But there is a it is a there's a moment of execution that is dramatized in some way. I think typically through lights and sound. But before that moment of execution for Charlotte, for Marie Antoinette, for Alump, there is this moment, especially for Charlotte and Marie Antoinette, more more simply uh, a Loom's death moment is much more extended but for Charlotte Marie Antoinette there's this moment where the lights kind of focus on them It's called for in the stage directions and they sing a small refrain of this music piece that has extended through the whole of the show in fact it's a very specific piece of music that's required that you do you can't write your own you can't change the lyrics it's a very specific piece of music written for the show and they have a little refrain that they sort of sing to themselves to the audience in their moment before death?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really kind of questioning. It's in the interrogative mood. They're kind of uh, wondering about um, how they have arrived at this spot. Um, The the lines are, Who are we without our power? What's a truth none understand? Fame's a force building era from hour. And the beat of the beat and the beat of the heart and heart in our hand. And that kind of happens almost ritualistically each time these characters are before the guillotine. And then there's a really specific um, uh, kind of beat by beat moment after that of breathing and some form of mourning, and then a light of some sort of purgatory ish moment, and then uh, a fast blackout on them. So you have this really repetitive um almost ritual that each of them goes through as they are about to die. And, and this song defines that moment and weaves its way through the play.
1: Yeah, other refrains that use that, would I imagine the same musical piece, but the different lyrics for the different women. Uh, Charlotte sings, Who are we without the riot? What is a song without a band? What plays on during the quiet? And then that refrain again. It is the beat of the beat and the beat of the heart and the heart in our hand. And there's different versions of it, of course, as the different women experience this moment of what a musical connection? I mean, somewhere in this is a tie to a loop wanting to make it a musical, I think. There's well, like is- a little <laughs> yeah. part of that.
0: It's a little odd in its positioning there because uh, so many of the characters revile the musical choice um, throughout and make fun of it. That's where a lot of the references to Les Misérables comes in. Um, so, so it's a little odd if it's, it's if it's just the connection to that. Um, however, I think it's it's kind of weaving through. Uh, it's it's hummed initially right at the start of the show, and you kind of you almost wonder if the scene changes can't be defined by a little bit of that sort of music throughout the show. Um, And and to have those different, uh, slightly different refrains that speak to the individual characters and what they're shooting for and and how society is still oppressing away the thing that they're shooting for. Right. Who are we without our power? Um, uh, I think I think that serves to reinforce even more the kind of um, the, the feminist nature of this play and the social critique that it is bringing out as they are looking at their lives and what they have available to them in that moment of death.
1: And it also emphasizes, in a a more form sense rather than a a plot sense, the theatricality of it, right? This is an imagination. These women did not, in the seconds before their death, sing a refrain of a song that they all knew. But they also never met. And so it's an exercise in this sort of imagination of what might, what what kinds of feelings, what kinds of experiences, what kinds of sisterhood, right? That's a word that's used, what might have flowed through these women as they faced the guillotine.
0: Yeah, and 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 if, and yeah. While they may not have known uh, directly of each other or met each other, they probably would have. The, I mean, this 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 moment is a moment where a lot of people are dying as a result of this. So you wonder if there wasn't still some sort of solidarity. At least the the play you know opens the question to that. Again, we're not historians, but you. it opens the question of what kind of solidarity could have existed within these uh, these women, even as they didn't know each other, but were going through very similar endings to their story.
1: And that. As we build, then, we build towards, of course, Alum's execution, which is that kind of final centerpiece of the play, this sort of final action. And, you know, what what exactly happens in Alump's life here and what kind of a journey she on, she's on, it, it is a little bit complicated by the fact that this has all taken place in her imagination seconds before she's killed, right? It's a little bit like the Baltimore Waltz. I remember in that discussion we sort of ping pong back and forth, well if all this just happened as a fantasy in like one or two seconds as some sort of traumatic thing was about to happen, what does that really mean for the character or for these experiences that we had? And there is a little bit of that in this play, except that um, Lauren Gunderson has written these three women around the loom for total, but the three that a has met had experiences with has this sort of play fantasy that she may have written it has written this moment where they get to give her advice, be with her in the fear. You sort of imagine that she's conjured them out of this play. She was imagining to help her deal with the fear of her eminent execution which makes one part of it a little odd to me. And that is the fact that Marie Antoinette can only say this broken and, uh, final words that she didn't manage to get out before her own execution.
0: Yeah, no, that is, that is a fascinating, um, part in that last scene and, and kind of, uh, it feels so sad. Um, the, the, the line that she must say over and over is I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, um, and I think there's there's certainly uh, certainly as as you are working on the scene, I imagine the question is uh, saying those words, but trying to add different inflection to make it clear that you're meaning something other than the words might initially uh, uh, or at first blush mean. But it is this this kind of feeling of sadness and loss, you know, this character who is so vibrant um, in life and so um, so uh, 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 witty and 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 alive uh, in this in this purgatory space is is reduced to just these last words of hers. Um, there's an interesting thought around last words though. And if those were her last words, I wonder if there's some kind of interesting, you know, after lifey metaphysical stuff being talked about in that scene, right? You have, um, <laughs> you have Charlotte who got these great last words from Olymp. and, um, and she's able to speak very fluently in the last scene. Um, so I, I wonder about that kind of dyad you have with, with the kind of, Knowledge that Charlotte goes confidently to the grave knowing that she has done what she meant to do and said what she meant to said or said what she meant to said, said what she meant to say, uh, versus Marie Antoinette's, um, Kind of clarity, she gets some clarity towards the end, but if these are her last words, what uh, what state is her uh, uh, post-life self in is an interesting question.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's just one that it doesn't seem like it really is paid off. I sort of kept expecting there to be a moment, at least the first time I read it, I kept expecting there to be a moment where... The line, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, or however she does it, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to, and then she gets cut off. I kept expecting there to be a moment where I was able to sort of reinterpret those words in a different context and something clicked into place and there was a little bit of a payoff, but it doesn't really seem like that happens. In fact, the Marie Antoinette character just sort of drops off in these last couple pages and Marianne and Charlotte continue... Narrating sort of the end of a Loom's life and, and kind of a very a highly exaggerated, stylized end to what her life, may, the end of her life on the guillotine, might have looked like. And th- that's an area where I just, it, I, clearly there is an intentional choice being made to do that. And it's just not one that I really grasp that strongly. I'm not, I don't really know what Lauren Gunnarsson is trying to do with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, I imagine that would be a very interesting thing for the actor playing Marie Antoinette to try to grapple with. Is it like a punishment for this character that's like we know is a is a historically um, complicated and very abusive character? Um, so, so I wonder if there's some comp, uh, kind of comeuppance around that. But that is a kind of interesting element that she fades off towards the end. The the the, the very end of it, though, I I love the like last line of the play. Um, it's this moment where uh, she goes through a very similar um, kind of uh, ending. She uh, they narrated her death all the way down to the very end. Um, and she takes a, a bow um, and at the bottom of the bow, the, the guillotine strikes, you hear the sound, but then she stands, the stage directions are, but Olymp stands tall again to tell us, and a story begins, and that's our blackout. And I... I just I I love that so much, partially because of of the kind of research around you know Lauren Gunderson uh, finding this character and and uh, you know striking like you said at the beginning striking on her story in a footnote. Um, it's almost this moment where you where you once again land the power of theater, where a playwright can find a fellow playwright who has been lost into the footnotes of history, or at least you know to some degree she's a she is a somewhat famous character in history, but I certainly had never heard of her and through the reading of this play I've been reintroduced to this playwright to each of these four women and their stories and and their stories have been reclaimed and now begin again start a new story as a result of of the end of their story and I think that's just a really powerful way to end the play and a power powerful statement about what theater can do. And it's
1: just so meta. It's like right. Lauren Gunderson, <laughs> a playwright in uh, 2015, writes the play that she imagines loop may have wanted to write but never got to write. It's, it's so – there's just such a – the resonance of that sort of final um, – shifting through the years right where the the burden of time is just sloughed off and the characters are speaking as characters uh, but also as fantasy right and that's why I think the uh the slight I would quibble with its factual truth that this is a true story, which is one of the subtitles, right? The revolutionist, a comedy, a quartet, a revolutionary dream fugue, a true story. But that kind of uh, holding on to the specific historical fact is something that Lauren Gunderson really challenges in how she's written the play, that there is a truth inside of historical truth or outside of historical truth. And you really feel that resonant truth in that final moment. I'm with you.
0: I think that's about all the time we have for the discussion of the revolutionists. There's so much more to talk about and I'm sure you all have opinions about this play if you've been in it or seen it or read it or done anything with it. We'd love to keep having this conversation with all of you. please help us
1: figure out what the ending with Marie Antoinette means. (laughs) Some of you out there have got to have some ideas.
0: Absolutely. yeah. We'd love to hear your ideas. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this play or on this conversation of the play. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScript podcast that's a great way to kind of have some conversation around it with us and with all the other NoScript listeners out there we also have a gmail no podcast at gmail.com that you can send in uh, individual email to us in there um, so hit us up on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about the revolutionists with you
1: and if you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes please send some folks our way to any of your friends and families that might like scripts even books literature art if you want to have discussions about art and how it's made send them our way to this podcast they can find us on podbean where we're hosted but we're also on the regular places google play apple Podcasts, spotify if you like our page on facebook every monday a link appears nice and shiny that you can click takes you right to the episode and there's a big play button right there for those less technologically savvy folks in your life if they got a facebook They can find us, so please send them our way. Your recommendations are why the podcast, amazingly, seven seasons in, continues to grow in listenership almost episode to episode.
0: Yes, thank you to everyone out there who is a part of No Script, the podcast. Uh, Until next week when we are talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai.
1: I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script. We'll see you next week.
0: See ya. Until next week, when I and Jacob are talking about another script, I am Jackson Nikolai. <laughs> I am Jacob Man. Let's redo that. I'll, I'll do that again. <laughs> it's like I said, I. Why I? <laughs>
1: I and thee are discussing another scroll. There's <laughs> a blooper for you. <laughs> that is a good one.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs>